0: We are back on a Wednesday, a midweek Bible study, and we are in Acts chapter two, starting at verse 14. Those of you that watched last week know that I've got allergies abundant. So, sorry for the, the coughing and the sounding as if you know Jimmy's fallen down the well. Lassie is not showing up yet. So, <clears throat> this we're gonna get into some good stuff. You ready? Peter stood up <clears throat> with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. <clears throat> Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That would have been a funny for them. Um, it, it doesn't really wash for us, but trust me, they would have laughed and kind of, oh, yeah, you got a point. <clears throat> no, what you're seeing here, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. If you remember last week, there are those that really want the Holy Spirit to have only fallen on the apostles, only on men. And Paul talks about the men that are talking. So looks like they got a point, but God is up to something bigger here. And we found in chapter one, there are about 120 people in that room and that many of them were women, including the mother of Jesus. All people, look at the next line. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now as a boy, if you brought that up, somebody would immediately say, well, the women can teach women. But Sorry, but if that's the way it worked, the men could only teach men. This is something new. This is not a new veneer. It's not putting new carpet in the church. This is a whole different thing. Rather like our safe harbor is a whole different thing. And those of you that give to us, thank you, thank you, thank you. It allows us to continue. Uh, We are, the reach is just phenomenal. None of us expected this. None of us. But your five, 10, and some very large donations have just blown the lid off of the way to do church. And it's just amazing. Oh, Getting distracted. Thank you for your gifts and your love. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, the lower in society. Oh, but he didn't stop there. Both men and women. Remember I told you also last week that the Holy Spirit is often referred to in feminine terms in scripture. This Holy Spirit walks in, comes upon humanity in a great and mighty way. And the first thing out of Peter's mouth is talking about all people, men and women, sons and daughters. He's, it's right there. And people immediately run to one or two verses from Paul and say, nope, 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 nope. That kills everything. Sorry, it does not. This is what God intended. He goes on further. I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is all from Joel. They will prophesy, who they? The men and women. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, Paul then, uh, sorry, Peter then says, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. By the way, they were not a credible people. They they did not just believe things because they saw something unusual. They questioned. They understood the supernatural versus the natural. They were not living in what Carl Sagan called a demon-haunted world. They. They knew how to, in fact, Luke, the author of this book, whenever he is detailing demonic possession, separates it from epilepsy in his list. He understood that some things aren't from the devil, many things aren't, most things aren't. But it, a, a, again, so he's saying, you saw them, you know it's true. Besides, all of Jerusalem, has been blown up over this resurrection story and how many people saw him. It, they, This is what everybody's talking about. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. <clears throat> The Agony of Death, back during Peter's time, uh, death was considered your, your ushering in to a dark and horrible place. Uh, there was not a really a lot of teaching about paradise and, and flames and such that was beginning. Um, Bart Ehrman, who is an atheist slash agnostic, uh, wrote Heaven and Hell, A History, and it's really worth reading but people who died were thought to be in agony. Uh, And so Peter uses that phraseology, delivered him from the agony of death. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. Again, just leave me in that situation nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fact is that we still don't have a roadmap of what happens on the last day, and we still don't have a roadmap of heaven, and we still don't understand everything that's gonna happen, but God tells us to trust him, that he will bring us joy. I believe it. What will that look like? Don't know, I just don't. But I trust him. Uh, God's trustworthy. He's shown that. And I think you would have to agree, even though he's let us down sometimes, because we prayed for people to get better and they didn't. And we prayed for things to happen that didn't. And we prayed for something saying, don't let that happen. And it did. We all know that God is not running the universe the way we want to run it. But he is trustworthy. He is good. He continues. Brothers. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. In other words, David is writing about, you will not leave me in the grave. You will not let your servant see decay. Peter's saying, you well know he's still in that grave, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised on him an oath that he would place on one of his descendants on the throne. So. You read it and you think that promise is for David, but it is not. It is for one of his descendants. Now, to you and I, if somebody were saying this, we never heard any of this before, we might feel like somebody was playing the old switcheroo, but that's not the way they looked upon it. They, to a person, would have, if asked, should God bless you or one of your far off descendants? everybody would go for descendants because the worst possible thing that can happen to somebody is that their line disappear from the earth. So he's saying, you thought it was for David, but no, it was for this other one. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. So he's saying, listen, either David was wrong in the prophecy or you're applying it wrong because it belongs to Jesus. And I love it the way he says, and you know he was resurrected. You know, we don't have, early letters, early writing saying, these idiots think somebody was resurrected. No, there was enough, enough chaos. They knew this is the story. And if they looked around, they could find people who were part of the hundreds here, other witnesses that saw Jesus after his resurrection. So David said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They knew their Old Testament. They knew current events. They knew what had happened. And while they did not hold the hammer and the nails, and not a one of them used the whip, they had allowed their leaders to do this and not held them to account. Therefore, they were guilty. It's rather, um, there, there's a policy in law, sometimes called the Good Samaritan Law. Uh, I do not see this, by the way, being applied when I walk around and work with police officers uh, the, the idea is that, let's say you see a child drowning in a pond and you're a good swimmer, you are required to go help the child. In most states, there is a, there's a law written somehow that makes you guilty if you don't help stop something that you could have. Many doctors have to take that kind of an oath in their area where if they see a traffic accident, they're supposed to stop. And again, I've never seen that actually enforced, but we understand why it's there. We don't want this to be none of my business. We see somebody shoving an old lady onto a subway track. We wanna grab the lady and get her out of there. And by the way, isn't it great when we see that happening, that people rush in to rescue? Uh, it gives you faith in humans again, doesn't it? But they realize they didn't do anything. And they go, oh no. We killed the one and then he left after all of these years. After all these years, we've been trying to be good and faithful and we we killed the one that was promised, the, the anointed one, the Christ. What do we do to? Peter said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, descendants, and for all who are far off, for for all whom the Lord our God will call. Well, I grew up in a tribe that quoted Acts 2.38 all the time, and so they should, because the question was, what should we do? The answer was, repent. That means change the way you are living and be baptized. Now, the word baptized there, baptizo, means to immerse, go all the way under and all the way up. It was, as I brought up last week, you can go back and review. Baptism was a fairly common event during this era in Judea. And it was an act of dedication to a rabbi. And he's saying, you dedicate yourself to to Christ. You have Christ as your rabbi, Christ as your leader. So repent and be baptized. And Then even brings up that one of the side effects of pledging yourself to Jesus is the forgiveness of your sins. And so the tribe in which I grew up emphasized baptism. I still do. In our safe harbor, we we tell people, if you want to be baptized, let us know. We will either get to you or we will find somebody who can get to you because it's important to us that you do this stepping up and saying that Jesus is your your Lord and your God. And you go all the way. I think of baptism this way. Um, This is not very deep. I think you can believe in your home. You can go, you know, I've looked at the literature and such, and I, I believe Jesus was the Son of God. You can repent in your home. I know, I've repented in my house before I met you. You can even confess your faith out loud in your home. But to be baptized, you have to put yourself in somebody else's hands. You have to lose control for a moment. You have to be placed into a place that feels unnatural and you were not built for underwater. And then brought back up as Roman said, and we already looked at that, and Galatians, we looked at that already too, that baptism is a, a form of death, burial, and resurrection. It's very, very important. So once again, if you have not been baptized, but you'd like to talk about it, or you'd like to be baptized, send me an email, patrick at rsafeharbor.com, okay? I wanna hear from you. All right, with many other Words He warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Every generation could say this, save yourself from this. Don't be like these people. Be resident aliens belonging to a different people, Still, even while you're still walking on earth. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. The way the Jews use numbers, do not try to make this a precise number. Uh, instead, it is um, it is just, it means thousands. It means a lot. That's, that's enough. There were, was a movement several years ago that said, listen, when you do exactly what God tells you to do, people respond by the thousands. And we're not baptizing many, so we're doing it wrong. And so they tried to go find a magical formula completely misunderstanding the way sociology and history work. 3,000, yes. But these people had been prepared. They'd been prepared by hundreds of years of teaching, of reading scripture, and having it read to them. They were also prepared by living through the same era in which Jesus lived. They heard, they saw, they discussed, they fought, they accepted. They were ready to hear what they needed to do. Every time when you enter a new work, you catch the low-hanging fruit first. You catch the easy ones, and then you've got to go for the others. Let's say that I were to start a podcast, and I'm going to call it Far Left Political Podcast. I will grab a certain number pretty quick, but then I'll stall because all I got were the people that wanted a far left political process, uh, podcast. same as if I were to say hard right Christian political podcast. I'll grab a bunch and then it stalls because low-hanging fruit. The others you're gonna have to you're gonna have to convince them to come. that'll take longer. So this wasn't a magic thing. God had gotten these people ready. By the way, baptizing this number, in one day means that anybody can baptize anybody because 12 guys are not gonna baptize 3,000 people after they've had a sermon, how much day is left? You know, it's, it's okay to be baptized by anybody. And I've helped people online baptize somebody. You know, they, they bring them down into the water, the creek, a baptistry in a church, whatever, and they're having me talk them through it because they've never done it before. And some people will say, well, shouldn't a clergy person do it? No, no. If you've got one, great. But it's not required. Go ahead, baptize each other. Those of you in the Church of Christ, uh, church, you you know that Thomas and Alexander Campbell were big founders of that movement in the US. They read, they figured out baptism was important and they baptized each other. So, there you go. Um, they devote, now here's where we don't talk that much about. I told you that we, we talk about Acts 2, 38, very frequently. But Acts two forty-two and forward, this is a big ask. It this shows what that first generation was like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Breaking of bread here is not referring to communion. It is referring to being with each other and eating with each other because in the first century, you are who you eat with. So you went out of your way to establish a connection to everybody. You ate with them. In fact, the Gospel of Luke is very much emphasizing who Jesus eats with far more than the other gospels. And he's just continuing it here. This was an exclusive club. They went out and ate with others, accepting others. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." It's just just such a lovely picture. I can remember preaching this passage at a little church in Alabama. I'm not again, my Alabama people, you know I love you. In fact, we have a ton of people in, in Alabama who are part of AASHSI and, and we love them. But this was, this is early on. Um, and I was talking and I talked about how the early believers did not hold on to their stuff, but rather made sure other people were taken care of by selling their stuff and using the money to help each other. That's exactly what it says here that they ate with each other so that no Christian ever went hungry. And by the way, if you're wondering, well then why didn't people just join this church to get fed, they did, they did. And then the love kept them there. It's pretty cool. At the end of it, <clears throat> they didn't have elders in that church. and The two men that really ran it came up to me and they said, you're not welcome here anymore. And I said, okay, I don't even ask why. People really want you to because they want to tell you why. <laughs> so I said, okay. And he goes, and, I, and the reason why is, they almost always do. You're preaching communism. Well, that was interesting. Because I, I don't care for communism or socialism. Not even a Christianized view of it. Neither do I believe in unfettered capitalism. I'm one of those people that sees a problem with all of them. And says, you know something? world's going to do what the world's going to do. I'm gonna do what Jesus wants me to do today the best I can, I'll get it wrong, but I'm gonna go for it. So I went over this with them a little bit, but it wasn't two minutes before they were done. Now these same people would have fought and died on a hill to protect Acts 2.38, but wanted to ignore verses 42 and forward. The prophets told us that rust would be a witness against us that we have so much stuff, we don't even use it. We have so much stuff, some of it goes to waste. Food in our refrigerator, food in the pantries, tools and toys and gimmicks and gadgets. It's important for us to remember, this is what it looks like when God just overwhelms you. At our Safe Harbor Church, as most of you know, our soundstage is donated to us. We have no utility bill because it's powered by solar. The people who live in that house have just said, no, it's God's house. Whenever guests come, sometimes they're able to even stay at the house overnight. We have a lot of guests and sometimes somebody's already there. But it's, it's great. We open up our homes. We, we do our best to say, all right, we wanna be Acts 2 Christians all the way to the end. All of the chapter. So think about it, would you? I love this story. Even though my voice is weak today, allergies, bubonic plague, whatever it is, I want to tell this story. Chapter three. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Then Peter, so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Let me explain what's going on. This is called the beautiful gate because quite frankly, it was beautiful. It it was just stunning. Its height, the engravings on it, the way it it caught the sun and shone back. That was just amazing. So it was a prime place for a beggar to be placed. The beggar has been unable to walk all of his life. So his family comes and puts him there every day of his life. He knows what his life's gonna be. Sitting on those steps, hoping somebody will take pity on him. So as Peter and John go by, he calls to them, saying, um, "You know, have mercy. You know, do you have money?" Peter and John both stop and look at him. Stop right there. They look at him. Don't walk by them. Look at them. This is a person. Oh, I'm aware many are running running scams, and I'm aware that many leave the corner, they've worked all day, and go get in a car that's more expensive than you. These things happen, but we, we, we don't do this with our heads. Look at them. Make a decision. Whatever decision that is, you do that. Peter and John looked at them. When we lived up in, the, in Michigan, just north of Detroit, we would go down into Detroit and feed people uh, and Cass Park. We, it, was, it was wonderful. I wish I could tell you all about it because we would actually show up with a trailer full of, of um, grills and we would cook it there. It was beautiful, hot, real food. And this was something we did for years and years and years when we lived there. Well, one day we saw some people coming around with cameras. Now, I wasn't a fan. I told people before, don't take pictures. These are not zoo animals. These are people. Well, a person came over and said, I've been told that you're the pastor here. And I went, yes. They said, we'd like to take some pictures. And I said, I'd rather you didn't. And I told them why. I said, these people have dignity. They have families. They have stories. We don't need them to become merely a representative of a fallen class. But they took pictures anyway. And in fact, the next day, was half of one page in the Detroit paper. One of the pictures was with me on my knees with my arm on well the homeless guy is praying while he's holding a 40 can 40ounce 40 can of malt liquor. And I was going. Oh. Then I read the article and it humbled me because the person asked the reporter asked several of the people there, what, what do these people do? You know, what are they like? And one of them said, the very man I'd been praying for, he said, other people come down to feed us. Other people come down to give us coats and hats. But these are the only people who look us in the eye. These are the only people who know our names. Well, that made me cry. That just hit me hard. Because that's what these people are doing. Immediately, Peter and John stop and look at him. Um, and he's not looking up. He's just like, you know, if you can help. This is all he's done all of his life. So Peter says, look at us. So a man looks up. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. Now the guy didn't jump up. Next, next line, Peter with those big old fisherman forearms reaches down, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Here is the best part. Then he went with them into the temple courts Praising and jumping and praising God. Walking and jumping and praising God. The miracles go. Cool. I like miracles too. But it was done to bring this man in. People who are crippled weren't allowed to come into the temple precincts. Read Deuteronomy and Leviticus. They're not allowed. For the first time in this man's life, he gets to go in. He is part of the group now. He gets to worship God like all the others. So he's jumping and praising and so happy. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, so would you, (laughs) so would you. This is just tremendous, it really is. And it fits back to verse 42, the breaking of bread. When Peter and John saw an other, in this instance, this other was a handicapped individual who because of that handicap would never be allowed inside the temple and they changed that. Now you and I can't go around doing that, I get that. But there is a lesson here for us. As we go around, we're going to find people beaten up by churches. In fact, a lot to the growth of our Safe Harbor Church is because people got beaten up by other churches and they found here a safe harbor that will not mistreat them. And we won't. We will love on you. You don't even have to agree with us. We've made that very plain. So, what do we do? We look at them and we say, I don't care about and name the sin that has kept them out. Name the the sin that others did against them. Name the shame they've been carrying around. Name it all, whatever. And then say, what I do care about is you as a person. Come be with us. As you are, we'll let the Holy Spirit work on you. Welcome home. What a great story. Now, I wanna talk about the rest of it, but if I start, it'll take me too long. And so we're gonna have a shorter class today. Hope you've enjoyed it. Next week, we will start at chapter three and verse 11. Thank you for giving. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for coming to visit us at the soundstage. We love that. If you have any questions or you need to get in touch, Patrick at OurSafeHarbor.com. Have a blessed day.